Welcome to Paranormal. This is episode 18. And once again, we have with us Trey Strickland, who produces this. It uh, does a wonderful job of it. We've got Brian Gadawa, fresh from Hollywood again. Doug Van Dorn and Doug Overmeyer. And of course, Natalina uh, is with us. So thanks to everybody for being here. And the topic for tonight is S-A-M-H-A-I-N and Halloween. Now, we're tempted to look at that and say Sam Hain and Halloween, but that is not the way we pronounce this name, so we might as well start by trying to get the term right. Uh, it, to the English eye, it looks just like, you know, Sam Hain, like what, what could be simpler? But according to a linguistic website that I found on the NC State uh, website, the larger website, this term is pronounced either Sawin, like ow, the O-W in cow, or Sawin with the O-W like glow. So Sawin, Sawin. We're going to try to remember to pronounce the term correctly. But Sawin, or Sawin, is an Irish Gaelic term for the time of summer's end, as well as a festival to mark the end of the harvest season and the onset of winter, which in the Gaelic Celtic calendar marked the beginning of the year, not the end of the year, but the beginning of the year. So this is associated with sort of a New Year's kind of celebration. And because the Celtic day began and ended at sunset and not sunrise, the festival was traditionally celebrated from October 31st to November 1st. Samhain, or again, Samhain is the ancient backdrop to Halloween, and that's where we want our discussion to focus. Not only in terms of calendar is this true, again, the October 31st date, but also in terms of basically all the modern elements of how Halloween is celebrated today. So what we want to do is we want to get into the ancient you know, festival, some of its customs, uh, it's going to lead us to some really interesting places. And for this episode, what uh, I asked everyone to read were, were three short selections from Hastings' Encyclopedia of Religion and Ethics. In its day, again, this is a, a an early 20th century resource, but in its day, this was the go-to resource, go-to reference source for anything that was associated with religion and ethics. It's 12 or 13 volumes. It's very long detailed uh, reference work, and it is available uh, to public domain via archive.org. So we read the entry on Celtic cosmogony, Celtic feasts and festivals, and Irish deities. And then we read two journal articles, one by Helen Sewell Johnson, entitled November Eve Beliefs and Customs in Irish Life and Literature. That's from the Journal of American Folklore. It's a 1968 article. And lastly, an article by Jack Santino entitled Halloween in America, Contemporary Customs and Performances. That's from the journal entitled Western Folklore, 1983. So our topic is Samhain and Halloween. And I'm just going to open it up. What did you guys think <laughs> as you were reading this? I, I, I know ultimately where this is going to gravitate. Uh, because of, of sort of who we are. This has some really interesting connections to the ancient biblical worldview of demons, giants, and the realm of the dead. But again, we're going to get there. But your impressions, did, you, did, did any of you know anything about this? 
Yeah, so uh, I think I want to start on this one. Uh, this is Doug Van Dorn. And the reason why is because I was in Ireland last week talking about this. A missionary flew me over there to talk about my Giants book. And um, the goal was to try and reach some of the Wiccans that are in a small town that um, he's trying to minister to. And so I, I opened up my presentation by looking at some of the mythology um, of Ireland. And I came across the Fomorians and the Tua de Danon and some of these other people. And then when I started reading this, uh, this morning for the show, I was like, my jaw dropped because I don't think I've ever read about them before, you know, two weeks ago. And now all of a sudden I'm getting bombarded with it. Yep. Yeah, the Fomorians are really interesting. Yeah, the idea that both the Fomorians and the Tua Dedanin are um, either gods or more likely demonic because of their, um, because of their uh, relationship to giants. Um, so, and I take demonic there to be uh, the Jewish uh, early Christian idea rather than you talking about in the Old Testament, the, the, the guardian demons. So more more the disembodied Nephilim sort of a thing as, as they would talk about it. So totally yeah. fascinating. <laughs> yeah, we'll, and we'll, we'll for, the, for the sake of the listeners, you know, we'll, we'll set up how these two things relate. <laughs> but that's really interesting that you were there because this is still celebrated. Oh, absolutely. In pagan um, communities. Yeah, he brought us over there just before um, they start decorating for Halloween on purpose so that we wouldn't be freaked out by it. But they (laughs) um, uh, just before we left, some of the places were already just I mean, it was completely decked out in ways that I can't even begin to think of what happened over here. Um, Their restaurants and schools and all sorts of things. Anybody else uh, had you heard of this before or any of these elements? You know, I'm still a little bit traumatized by this, and I'll tell you why. I always have some sort of trauma to bring to the table. <laughs> <laughs> but a few years ago, it might have been two years ago or so, um, I was invited by a couple of people that I won't name, prominent mm-hmm. people, to join them on a radio show, a very popular live radio show that takes callers. Mm-hmm. And the idea that they had presented to me was this was going to be this Halloween show and that there needed to be this voice of reason in the Christian community uh, with regard to Halloween. We were going to talk about the history of it and where maybe people get a little bit overly excited about the occult connections and stuff like that. That was the whole idea. These were two people who were scholars, written a lot of books. And for some reason, they asked me, probably because of my past mm-hmm. knowledge of the occult, to join them on this program. So I went on the show. And as soon as the callers started coming in, you know, attacking us, both of these big, strong, smart guys backed off and started agreeing. And I was left as the lone person talking about Halloween from what I was trying to consider like a rational, reasonable Mm -hmm. thing. And it really scarred me (laughs) because I was so (laughs) left in the dust and I cannot tell you how much hate mail I got about it with people questioning whether or not I was even a Christian. So Yes, I've talked about this subject before. <laughs> you know, hate mail builds character. Just remember I, I, that. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, I'll go with that. <laughs> uh, anybody else? Anyone, anyone less traumatized? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is Gadawa. I, I, you know, I had heard 
just cursory um, understanding of origins of Halloween throughout the years, you know, and I come from a perspective that's um, that that, uh, you know, all these Christians who think that if they uncover the pagan origins of you know, holidays like Christmas and such and Easter, that they've somehow shown that they're evil. I, I actually don't accept that in, in principle because I definitely believe in cultural appropriation and subversion. In other words, I believe that we're mythical, myth-making creatures as well as myth-following creatures. So we need we need to uh, have rituals and we need to have embodied sort of, uh, you know, holidays, you know, um, and, and the like. And so, uh, I don't believe you, uh, you know, I'm all for taking previous pagan holidays and transforming them into Christian versions. I don't think that it always works, you know, as I, you know, as I think these mm -hmm. papers indicates, unfortunately. And um, so I'll admit yeah, this that. Would be a good example. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, the, the yeah. So, um, but in, in principle, I accept because the, actually the Bible does it as well. God does it. So if God does it by transforming pagan uh, notions and images like Leviathan and such, then I, I think that it, it's appropriate. So I stand against that. But even having said that, when I, you know, starting reading these papers, this whole mythology of the Gaelic and, and Celtic and, and Irish mythology behind it is completely new to me. And, I, you know, and I, I speak as one who's studied a lot of more like, you know, Mesopotamian, Sumerian mm -hmm. and Ca Canaanite. And I'm like, oh, OK, this is a whole new area that I'm going to probably, you know, delve into soon, you know, because it's fascinating. But it's also you know, overwhelming because there's just so much behind it, you know, in terms of the mythology, yeah. but, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's its own critter too. I mean, there are some things as we'll get into during the episode here that are really fascinating and fairly direct overlaps, you know, with, with, you know, biblical thinking, of course that raises the question, you know, how old is the, are the elements to sewing, you know, how, how old are, or, or did they sort of arise in a, in a post biblical way? You know, that, that yeah. that's an open question because of the source material, but then there are other elements that really it would be hard to find, you know, some sort of biblical correlate as well. So you, I mean, you, you, you get both, but it's, it's really kind of interesting for the sake of the listeners. Again, unless anyone else wants to say, Hey, I had heard of this. Anybody else? Well, I, I I'm in Gadawa's boat. I mean, I had heard some, I'd heard a little bit, but I'd never really jumped into it. Go ahead. Yeah, that, this is Doug Overmeyer. I, I, I was sort of in the it was Satan's holiday camp, you know, a bunch of years ago, <laughs> and, and now I'm and also in Brian's camp where it's Christians have attempted to subvert this, and the attempt the attempt was like over a thousand years ago, and like Christians went after this holiday over a period of centuries and then it that was all really interesting to me but the the gaelic origins of it um i, I was actually reminded of uh, tolkien actually especially in his, oh, his yeah. sort of his stuff in the silmarillion more like the you know his myth his myth mythical world building and uh, i can see where like he was he maybe mined some of this maybe not the specific material i think he was more in the germanic area but just sort of that worldview and that perspective of these mythical creatures who Christians later said were all demons. I don't think the, the Gaelic, they were, you know, for the Christian, for, for the arrival of Christianity, they, they didn't think of them as demon. They were just their deities. And, and so we can get into that, but that, 
and I never really thought about, I mean, I, I was troubled by some of the articles and, you know, the, the, the ones about the, um, sort of the Irish religion. And then the, the journal articles sort of like calm me down a little bit, <laughs> you know, cause they were more like anthropological and like, like let's figure this thing out and w- what is going on in our culture today about it. And that really calmed me down a little bit as well. Yeah. It, it, uh, Again, for the sake of the, um, for the listener, l- let me just get into this a little bit further, kind of try to, to summarize, you know, some of the, I guess the gist of it, the, the um, I l- let me just lift a little bit from, uh, the Santino article. Uh, he says at one point, most of what we know of Samhain is contained in the I- ancient Irish sagas. But these were not written down until sometime between the 9th and the 12th centuries. I think there's another article that specifically says the earliest written record that we have is the 9th century. And he says, while the missionaries, Christian missionaries, had arrived by the 5th century. So for, for sure, you know, there's these beliefs are older than the 9th century A.D., but as far as the written material, that, that's the earliest we have, at least at, at present time. And Santino says that, the again, Samhain was about seasonal ideas of time, uh, blending that with supernatural ideas of life and death. Coming at the time of the year it did, it associated the fruits of the harvest with ideas of the afterlife and the other world. On Samhain, the entrances to the other world are open. And then he quotes a source, great was the darkness of that night and demons would appear on that night always. Again, that, this is a Christian source. And Santino says another place, it was believed that at the time of transition to the new year, remember in, in, in their calendar, winter was the beginning of the year. So it was believed at the time of the transition to the new year, the souls of those who had died during the year assembled and the living lit bonfires and sacrificed fruits and vegetables in their honor to expiate their sins. The souls of the dead were allowed passage to the land of the just. On the eve of Samhain, souls were a-traveling, is, is how he puts it. Now, one of you mentioned about the, the, the subversion of this. Uh, Pope Gregory is mentioned in Santino's article in 601 AD. He he more or less just declared that we are going to intentionally subvert this. You know, we're we're going to intentionally appropriate it. Uh, he he ordered you know missionaries to not um, try to abolish it or ban it or make it a, an, an evil thing. You know, in and of itself, but to try to subvert it, and that's actually where we get this blending of Samhain with uh, All Souls Day, okay, which, of course, you know, is, is another precursor to Halloween. So that there was a very deliberate attempt to try to Christianize this thing, to essentially divert attention away from a, a mythological, you know, view uh, or a pagan view, and then turn the attention over to something where that could sort of mediate Christian teaching uh, while keeping the trappings of this. You know, that, but as Brian said, you know, the, you could look at this one and say, "Well, you know, boy, did this really work?" And there's a lot of there's a lot of material in the in the reading that we did that would suggest, oh, it didn't really work." That well. <laughs> you know, because they they're you know, parts of the 
you know, you had the bonfire, which I just mentioned. Okay. And that's again, supposed to represent the sun and it's intended to aid this. I mean, think about, think about winter, you know, it's going to be darker sooner and all that kind of stuff. And so we have to, you know, remind people that the sun is, you know, in its, in, in its descendancy, but it's going to reappear. So we have to aid the sun in its course and its fight with the dark powers and, and so on and so forth. This is very typical, you know, of, of what we think of again as pagan, you know, kind of thinking, the celebrations. So from the, the fire that was again supposed to, you know, remind people of this cycle, fire was taken from, from that big fire to kindle each fire in the house. Uh, you know, again, to, to connect all the people with this, they did, you know, slaughter, you know, cattle. There, there's some evidence of human sacrifice, you know, in, in certain, you know, cultures, certain, certain periods, uh, you would have people run around in animal skins. You'd have people dress as women because the, again, the, the, the sacrifice was supposed to be the sacrifice of the, uh, the, ag, the harvest spirit, which was conceived of as female. So you, again, you have the dressing up and in all sorts of different ways. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's really interesting though, that, that this became at one point associated with a tribute demand from, from the Fomorians, which, which it's like, well, who are those people? You know, okay. Who are they? Uh, this, this practice and this celebration and the calendar was took the Samhain and then, and then merged it with this, this notion that the ancient peoples of this particular area, Celtic, you know, tradition, Irish, you know, tradition, they were at one point put under tribute by some group called the Fomorians, where they had to surrender two thirds of the children born within the year. They had to surrender, a, you know, a portion of the year's corn and its milk to the Fomorians, you know, during this celebration. And again, we can get into this because the, the Fomorians, again, as was already mentioned, depending on where you land on the etymology of the term would be these demon, demonic giants, you know, spirits of the giants and whatnot. And the original people, again, that were paying tribute were believed to be descendants uh, from Noah and Noah's sons. So you get all this sort of mix, but, you know, basically there's nothing that you can't really think of the witches the demons, the dressing up, the exchanging of, of gifts, the, the the pumpkins, the corn stalks, you know the, you know everything that we sort of associate with with Halloween, both in terms of the, uh, you know what what most people or not most people, but what Christians would think of as demonic, and then other other people would consider sort of just harvest season stuff. It all seems to be traceable to this. So, you know. What did, what did you think of some of the trajectories here? Let's just throw it out that way. I think it's worth noting that that witches, um, as we conceive of them tied to um, Halloween, aren't Wiccans. Like it's not mm-hmm. really – it's sort of an Americanized way of thinking about demonic powers that live in – like a demonic entity that lives in the forest and might come – like fairy. In the Middle Ages, it would be, it'd be fairy or – um, which fairy isn't a tiny little, you know, <laughs> little thing with wings. It's like a terrifying entity that lives in the forest and don't go out there. It might snap you and, mm-hmm. you know, and 
haul you off into the underworld as a prisoner, or maybe you'll get lucky and get a beautiful fairy who, who, you know, uh, is a, is a spiritual entity and, and will mate with you. And then who knows what will be produced from that union. So that, I mean, these are the sort of the myths of that era. And so the bad ones were conflated in, in America as, as witches, they'd be flying around and they would snatch children and, and that sort of thing. So I, I thought that was really interesting. Um, when the Irish started settling in the, in the States after the potato famine or during that, during the potato famine, they, they brought these ideas, these cultural, um, these cultural mem- this cultural memory and these cultural practices into America who already had sort of ideas about what, what uh, witches were and, and the modern phenomena sort of evolved from that. It, it's just, I, I got a sense of the vast amount of history that went on. I mean, we're talking about centuries before the Christians got there, there were probably thousands of years of, of, of practice. And then the Christians were trying to um, invade this area with, you know, with the gospel for centuries. And, mm-hmm. and that's just, I mean, that's centuries. And it's easy for us to look back, look at today's practices and think, um, you know, it's all Satan, but it's, it's really, it's really not. I mean, I mean, they worked hard, the Christians, you know, they went in and waves and waves over. I mean, it's just amazing. The culture, like Brian said, trying to culturally appropriate these ideas, but what was going on in the spirit realm, you know, and how the um, original people there, not the original people, but you know, the, the Celt, the Celts, how they were trying to understand the spiritual reality and their ideas of, of uh, sort of territorial spirits and some of them mating with humans and then these giant, just giants who were like pushed into the, into the hills. And I, I thought, found all that just, I mean, richly uh, great fodder for the imagination. But it's easy for me to say that in the 21st century, if you're living in the second century before the arrival of the Christians, how terrifying those hills really would have been you know, and these practices and, you know, when the onset of winter and suddenly it's dark at four in the afternoon, I, I mean, it's no wonder they, they wanted rituals to help, help the sun come back in the spring. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, it, all the, the nature worship and the nature deities, it, it, it makes sense uh, from a sort of a pagan um, oral tradition, primitive tradition before, you know, pre-modern ideas. This Godow, uh, I just want to add something in there too. Uh, one of one of the little legends that I I found interesting that I didn't know before was um, in the Santini argue uh, article, and it's where he mentions the jack o' lantern, you know, mm-hmm. and he says that the jack o' lantern is said to be the wandering spirit of a blacksmith named Jack, who was too evil to get into heaven, but because he had outwitted the devil, was not allowed into hell. Expelled, <laughs> expelled from hell, he scoops glowing coal in the vegetable he is eating and uses it as a lantern to light his way as he wanders the earth. I'm, I'm already thinking of movies here now. Like, okay, you know. <laughs> and I, I would be remiss if I don't mention this too. That that uh, one of the connections with the fairies was these mounds, you know, and fairies yes. were connected to these mounds. And there's a whole mythology of that. And uh, there is a movie that that came out a while back and. and uh, it, it went nowhere. It has a terrible title. It's called The New Daughter. And it stars Kevin Costner. And I just want to recommend it because it's kind of interesting. It wasn't a great horror film, but it was a horror film that dealt with this notion of this mound 
and fairies in there, you know? Mm. And uh, so it was, it was sort of a horror movie bringing, you know, up to date that sort of mm-hmm. fairy, you know, legend. And sometimes I find horror films are a good way to capture some of that mythology, you know? And, and a lot of times they're not, you know, these horror movies are not arbitrary. They're not just made up stuff. The writers actually go and, and they draw from these histories, you know, mm-hmm. kind of fascinating. It's also interesting as another pop culture um, connection. When I was reading the article where they talk about the, um, the, the mummers oh, yeah. and, and how they, the, um, they were paying tribute to the Fomorians by wearing masks and imitating the spirits of the dead and, and collecting food and drink. And they were referred to as mum, mummers and they would go mumming and they would do these parades. And in the early 2000s, there was a really popular song by Lorena McKinnett called The Mummer's Dance. <laughs> and that's what that song was about. And I, I remember just kind of being hippy-dippy at that time and thinking, oh, this is this really cool kind of Celtic song. And I had no idea what it was actually about. But that's what the song is about. It's about putting on masks and tying ribbons on trees and doing all of these rituals. And if you Google it, I think it was like a in somehow became like a top 40 song at the time and everyone was singing it and no one knew that that's what this song was about it's about these mummers that were imitating the dead in an effort to appease these celtic gods very interesting yeah that was really i'm from the east coast so you know in in like philadelphia and some of these other places this was an annual you know, and I think it was New Year's Day as well. I don't know. I don't know if it was Halloween, but there was an annual Mummers Parade that maybe there still is. And I used to wonder, like, what in the world is going on here? You know, because just the, the the term and all the costumes and stuff like that. So, yeah, I had no idea that that they're actually <laughs> they're actually dipping into this pool. Well, it uh, makes sense if they that. would do it on New Year's sure. Day because it yeah. initially was the New Year, uh, November. First. Yeah, that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll tell you what the articles did for me. It, 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 in my head, not, not that I'll put it this way. I, I didn't, I didn't need to be forced to answer the, this question, but I thought, um, there are a lot of Christians, you know, who, who do need to be forced, you know, or, you know, to ask this or answer this question. And that is on the one hand, we are sort of predisposed as Christians to look at, early Christian writers like Bede, you know, the venerable Bede or, you know, you know, something out of the church fathers or, or whatever, and, and give them the benefit of the doubt that they are honestly reporting stuff to us. And I, that's good. I mean, I, I don't have any, you know, problems with that, that assumption that they're, they're doing the, the best they can, you know, to tell us what's going on and why. But that also means if we, if we give them the benefit of that doubt that we've got to take seriously what they're saying here. (laughs) Okay. That, that the notion that, that Halloween is, is connected to, you know, this kind of pagan stuff and, and very, very ancient, that isn't just sort of a contrived idea, you know, by, by wacky Christians or whatever. I mean, there's something to it. Now they might be overreacting obviously, but, it's not just sort of something invented so that now we can go pick on a holiday or cause it's not in the Jewish calendar. So we shouldn't be doing it. You know, it, it, 
it's not that, but there's act, there actually is something here. And it, and it, I think people need to realize that, but then the, the, the deeper question and the broader question as Brian already brought up is, okay, why, why were these connections made, you know, um, both culturally and, and then in, in this case, you know, we have this sort of mediating this, this bridge, this all souls day, you know, for, uh, in the Christian context, it gets married to this. And then, you know, th- that has some relationship to Halloween. So that, that's actually the better question. You know, what, why was this done? Uh, you know, and, and here, you know, we have, again, a, an attempt at subverting, um, you know, a, a set of pagan ideas, you know, for the purpose of conversion. And we, you know, we can quibble about, you know, well, were they really preaching the God? or not again i understand that that issue and and that's a very real issue as well but you know it's not like the church was trying to be evil (laughs) (laughs) like what's the best way we can adulterate our teachings and make them more evil you know or or make them you know make them gateways to evil what, what they're trying to do is the opposite and again we can we can talk about how well they did the job or it, even if the strategy made sense in, in whatever given you know context but the the people who are writing about this they're not like disagreeing with the tactic they're they're not saying that you know oh we're, we're making up a, a new like christian linkage to this pagan stuff so that we can talk that they're they're actually seizing on ideas that are already in the culture and I bring that up because of the whole Noah thing. I mean, th- I find it interesting that you actually have somewhere, I, who, who knows how it got there, because the articles do try to make the point that a lot of this has to be aboriginal. But how in the world do we get this notion that Noah's granddaughter, okay, I don't know how to pronounce the name, but Cesare, C-E-S-S-A-I-R, comes to settle this part of the world with 50 women and three men. And they, of course they eventually die off because of a plague. And then a new group comes along the, the Nemedians, And then we, their, their leader was the, was Partholon. And he's supposed to be descended from Noah. Like how did that has to come from somewhere that is pre, you know, Christian, the, the, the Christian writers are just reporting on this and then trying to, you know, su- subvert it. So as I, mean, I was uh, studying, as I was studying for uh, this presentation, I came across this. Uh, there's a book called "The Book of Invasions." It's from the 12th century, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously some sort of an Irish monk that's writing down the history, and he's talking about this Cesare legend. and And as they're writing, they bring up um, the Kurgan people from the Caspian Sea region. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as I read that, I was like, I was really freaking out because in, as I was writing the giant book all those years ago, um, I came across an article by this woman named Marija Gimbutas called the Kurgan culture and the Indo-Europeanization of Europe. And she kind of traces this migration of the Kurgan people from exactly that area, kind of the Black Sea, Caspian Sea mm-hmm. And then they go into Galatia, they go up into Gaul, and then they end up in Ireland, which is exactly what the myth tells you. And what's so strange about that to me is that, you know, my as I was thinking about it, I was thinking about the giants and, and um, 
kind of the, how they were kicked out of the land of Canaan and where did they go from there? And you can kind of trace the exact sort of a thing. So you, you hear these legends of giants in Galatia, you hear Julius Caesar, you can read him talk about this in his annals of war about these giants up in France that the Roman armies couldn't beat. And then you have these myths of, of the giants up in, in um, Ireland. And it's like, so how did those stories get there was kind of the question that you asked. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh it just seems like that's exactly what the what the history of of people tell us is that they're they're not they're not myths they're not just made up things they're there's some sort of a kernel of historical truth to them yeah, yeah there's something going on there yeah so it's like what we have here is uh the normal progression in a way of what we're seeing is resonances of the biblical truth that are in these ancient uh you know celtic legends and you know we've been talking about how you know, uh, you know, the, these kinds of, of pagan festivals were, were subverted or ac- accommodate, uh, culturally appropriated by the church. But in truth, it goes back farther and the mm-hmm. paganism is itself appropriating the Christian truths. In other words, that's what, that's what history is, is the adaptation and, you know, in a sense, a kind of an evolution of, of, um, you know, uh, of traditions and legends going all the way back to the original, which we as Christians here are arguing, yeah, it's rooted in, in a biblical truth. And of course, they're all spins and twistings and distortions, you know, because every culture, you know, our, our belief system is that man is inherently sinful. And so therefore he's even his imagination and everything he does, even though he has the truth within him, and he knows the truth, he suppresses it in unrighteousness, and so he creates mythologies that ha- you have to have some truth in a lie for it to be if truly effective on on who we are as human beings. And I think that's what I would, that's what I see going on here. You know, is this this these elements that are rooted in the biblical truth as we understand it is why they've they've um, they've had such historical resonance and connection with people. And that, yeah, that is truly fascinating. You know, what I found interesting, you know, whether, whether you take a, let's just, let's just take a regional view of the flood here for the sake of the discussion. Oral tradition of, of a flood and then a, a, you know, small, you know, number of people who survived that and then their descendants spread out. Just, just the very general idea that works in this part of the world because of the Mediterranean, you know, and, and its proximity. Uh, you know, you just migrate north, you know, and, and you get these places that Brian uh, and Doug just mentioned geographically that have these these stories, these episodes. Um, it, it, so it's not it, – it, we, we shouldn't be too surprised if we have elements of the flood tradition and, of course, you know, the, the, the giant traditions that, that, that go along with that in these places, in this part of the world. What, what I th- thought was really interesting was the, the, the term, you know, Fomorians. Okay, I'm going to read a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I, actually found, I actually found Wikipedia useful here in terms of summary. I mean, you can, you can go out to the literature and get a lot more detail, but for the sake of, of the episode, I'm just going to read a, a little bit because it has an entry on Fomorians, which is an old Irish term. So it says, the Fomorians are a supernatural race in Irish mythology. They are often portrayed as hostile and monstrous beings who come from, here, here are your two options, come from the sea or underground. <laughs> and, and we know, 
again, from, from biblical thinking, that those two things are actually connected mm. in a number of ways, either in terms of the abyss or in terms of, of giant traditions. Uh, it, and it continues later, the Fomorians were portrayed as giants and sea raiders. So, so there's, those are your two options again. <laughs> and, and it goes into the etymology about, well, like, what, which is it? You know, because depending on what, what etymology you pick, you, you, it might be from the old Irish, you know, myrrh, sea, from Moria, you know, myrrh. That, maybe that's the connection. Maybe it means something like undersea ones. Another suggestion is that it comes from more, not myrrh, but more, which means great or big. and means something like great underworld ones or underworld giants or nether giant. I mean, you, you get this etymological thing going back and forth. But, you know, it, that was just fascinating because not only do you have underworld and watery abyss connections with the whole ancient Near Eastern and biblical concept of the abyss, okay, the, you know, the three-tiered cosmology, the, the, the waters under the earth, which is the abyss. But you also have a giant connection between, you know, with, with the sea peoples. Okay, the, the the Philistines were were you know part of the of the Sea Peoples in the <laughs> ancient Near East. You know you you have a number of these little little attachments to these biblical ideas. Now you know I'm I'm not you know who knows how this kind of thing was transmitted, but I think oral tradition by some means into these areas well before the Christian period that are drawn from ancient Near. Eastern biblical stuff or that the biblical world at the very least. But I, I would think, you know, you're, you're going to have, you're going to have Jews travel to these places. You're going to have people even before the, you know, the descendants of Abraham travel to these places. And there, this is going to be this cultural memory, you know, which is an idea broadly accepted in, in, at least in the evangelical tradition, I think even wider. Um, but that works here in terms of the geography and in terms of the, the, you know, the, the material, at least, that we're narrowly talking about here. What, what struck so I, me also— I found that really, really interesting. What really struck me about the, uh, when uh, the article that listed the names of several of these these creatures, these deities, mm-hmm. is um, one of them was the god who taught them poetry. Another one taught them <laughs> yeah. more. One of them taught them <laughs> yeah, how to the make— culture heroes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One of them taught them how to make uh, magic. I mean, it just reminded me of Enoch, uh, of, of the Watchers who— And, and the Apkalu, because if you read Barosis, again, you know, think, think about your, your Hellenization prior to the Christian period. You have the connection there with the Apkalu and, and Oannes. You know, again, there you go with the, the, the sea origin. You know, it, boy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have one who uh, he, he, he taught weapon making, and then he taught magic, and then he taught— you know, that, that's like, that's just some of the watchers right there. Right? Yeah. yeah. It'll give it you is. a little bit more on the Fomorians. So this comes from the Encyclopedia of Celtic, Celtic mythology and folklore. And um, it, it, it gives one of the etymologies as more as well, Mike. And, mm-hmm. um, but it, it gives the word phantom. And so I thought of how sometimes the Rephaim is translated as a shade or a phantom, I think in Job or whatever it is found. Mm-hmm. And it talks about them as a monstrous and demonic race who preyed upon the various settlers, waging war, intermarrying until finally they were defeated by the Tuatha A gigantic and evil Fomorian king, Baylor, was related to the Tuatha through his daughter, whose son was Lu, 
And uh, if you look up who Lou is, you find that he's got some really strange connections with Apollo. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah. It, I mean, the, the cross fertilization here is really, I mean, you, you can get there through Hellenization. You can get there through, you know, the, the Romans, you know, appropriation of Hellenistic stuff. You know, I mean, you can get there uh, in terms of, again, the oral tradition of, of a flood event, the survival, the giants, the whole bit. And then like, like Brian was saying, that's actually appropriated by the, you know, the pagan environment in, in very understandable, you know, normal ways. Uh, and then that has to be, you know, you know, it has to be, you know, done a 182, you know, later on in the, you know, when Christianity shows up there, but there actually is, you know, something to this. It, it was just really interesting. Go ahead. I see a new novel series coming. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> I'm like, wow. Oh, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with lots of apostrophes in the, in the vocabulary. Yeah. <laughs> lots of glottal stops, you know. Oh, good yeah, luck that's going to that. be a tough one, yeah. Yeah, good, good, good luck with that. Uh, you know, what? what is it, the, the, the Cockney pronunciation? I, I don't know, just, I'm, <laughs> I'm, you know, fooling with you here. Uh, so any other thoughts about, you know, what, you know, the, the content of the, of the articles? Yeah, I was, I, I, I'm struck for whatever reason, I don't know why, just my bent or whatever, by this group, the Tawat, the Danin, the children of Danu, the goddess. Um, and just thinking about its relationship to this, um, you know, this festival of Samhain, um, and, you know, maybe this can give us a little bit of conversation too. The idea of death and Samhain and new life. So new year, like it's the mm -hmm. new year holiday as we talked about and, and thinking about how it's a harvest holiday. They talked about that quite a bit. And, um, um, so this is, you have to have all of your food in and protected because the harsh winter is coming and mm -hmm. you have to have all your, um, animals, you know, off the hills and stuff like that. And, and then, then moving kind of in, in a weirder direction, um, they talk about the human sacrifice that there was some evidence of cannibalism and, mm -hmm. uh, and then for, I thought that that kind of all took its direction from this, from this group, the Tawath that destroyed the Formorians and then who were themselves, um, defeated by basically the ancient Celtic people. I forget what their, what their name is, um. Um, the, so the Celtic people are the modern people of Ireland. So it's just kind of one group removed. And I, I was reading it through the, the Moses Deuteronomy 32 worldview that you've talked so much about and the darkness that Paul talks about that the nations are given over and just thinking about that. And if God really did put these heavenly beings over these different, you know, places. So what it says is that, um, it talks about how these the Celtic people and the Tuat made a um, kind of a covenant with each other so that the Celts would then reign on the land and then the Tuat would reign under the land <laughs> in the underworld. And mm -hmm. so they, there was some, some um, connection to them becoming the fairies of Ireland that Doug already talked about in the how these are not, um, you know, Tinkerbell from <laughs> Disneyland sort of creatures. Um, and that, that they would enter through these mounds to the underworld. And, you know, I was just over at, at New Grange, which is one of the oldest sites 
on Europe. And it's like they call it this burial chamber. I'm not really sure what it's about. And you walk in and it's all lined up to the solstice and the sun only shines for 10 minutes a year on the inside of this thing. And you know, nobody knows what they're doing, but it seems to me that it could very well uh, be related to some kind of a remembrance or a need to pacify these deities that lived in this place that God had put them under. It, it just elevates in my mind how awesome St. Patrick was. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, the dude just comes and just like, you know, God's church is, you know, on this rock, <laughs> you know, like the gates of hell will not prevail because the gates of hell are everywhere. All these mounds, there's one over there, you know, he goes and builds a church. And that's what they did. They built churches on these mounds, some of them like, nope, gate of hell here. Nope, we're building a church on it. I mean, that's that's kind of awesome in a way. I had the yeah, same that, that takes that takes a little boldness. there was a story if you remember there was a story that they gave one of the articles gave of patrick and some sort of a thing happened on Samhain to him as well so they they talked about how wars would take place on this day and Mm -hmm. um and patrick was was right in there yeah Yeah. and there was in that story supposedly saint patrick had even had an encounter with a fairy oh that which was really interesting yeah exactly yeah he had an encounter with the fairy and like had an exchange with them which is really interesting because in the halloween in america article it talks about how fairies are sort of this image of fallen angels who are not able to be in heaven or hell at this current time so they inhabit the earth and make mischief and all of that it's you're right it's so interesting they're supposedly um, fairies are just the angels who followed Lucifer in his rebellion. Yeah, it it is interesting that you have. I mean, you, you've got two prongs, you know, to the biblical you know notion of the underworld as far as the the dark denizens that either in, inhabit it or are imprisoned there, or you know that that kind of thing. You've got you know you got your Genesis six bunch that's imprisoned there, but then you've got you know Rephaim, which of course you know the the whole second temple Jewish notion of demons being the disembodied spirits of the giant clans. Of course, Rephaim is one of those, you know, so you've, you've got both of these elements there. And again, for the, for the sake of listeners, I mean, I, my, my demons book isn't, isn't out yet. Who, who knows when that's going to show up, um, you know, turn the manuscript in, but then you're at the mercy of whoever you turned it into. <laughs> but y- y- the reason why biblical literature is unique there because everybody, all the scholars point this out. Oh, the Ugaritic text, you know, they just have the Rephaim as, you know, dead ancient warrior kings and all. Well, no kidding. It's because when, if you're a second temple Jewish writer and you're borrowing or, you know, you're, you're responding to the Apkalu stuff, these aren't good guys. Okay. So yeah, the, the, the warrior kings are going to be denizens of this, this dark, fearful place, you know, the underworld that we associate with death and not the presence of God. And, you know, we, we know who, who they are, you know, and, and because of the whole watcher element of this, which Ugaritic doesn't have, of course, you're going to talk about them in terms of giants and kings and also disembodied spirits. You know, it, 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 it's very understandable you know, given the, the the backdrop that the biblical writers responding to, and here you have in this Celtic stuff, you actually have all of those different elements. You know, you've got the warrior element, you've got 
the, the disembodied spirit element, you've got the giant element, and they just take, they, they sort of follow their own trajectories then, you know, fairies is one, you know, the, the Fomorians, the giants is another, and then, you, you know, it, again, it's really hard not to look at this and think that somehow, and I, again, I'm not saying that they had to be exposed to texts like the Hebrew Bible or something like that. But but somehow through either oral tradition or or you know hearing something or you know either oral tradition on their own turf or again getting this mediated through people from the Mediterranean whether it's Hellenism or the Romans or it's Jewish Christian travel you know who, who knows okay but but they've got the elements there uh, either they're indigenous or they're something else or maybe a little bit of both. But it's hard to, to look at this and not conclude that they're really, you know, the, the elements are there. And they're, they're not just made up later on by, you know, Christian writers in the 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th centuries who are trying to sort of spin something, you know, for the sake of, you know, stamping out, you know, a certain idea. I thought also is is just interesting how the Deuteronomy 32 worldview was held by by these people in one way or the other, um, mm-hmm. when, um, I'm not going to try to pronounce the Tuatha, you know, they were inhabiting the land and then the gods of the Celts actually came and then pushed them off. And then the Celts followed. So like there was a spiritual war ahead of time before mm-hmm. the Celts actually inhabited the land. And that, that's just, um, it, it, that was interesting to me how this, this perspective is, uh, is everywhere <laughs> in the ancient world. Well, in the pre-modern yeah. world. It is, and and you know, again, just to for the for the sake of a critical listener, it's like oh, you you know, you guys are saying that, you know, this somehow this this Bible stuff, you know, got inserted, and no, no, it, this is this is you you can build this argument without even appeal to the Bible, you know, mm-hmm. because of you know Plato and another. Yeah. Well, it's like when I went on that pagan podcast, you know, Voice of Olympus, the, the first episode, and again, I. I do recommend people listen to that, even though the audio is terrible. But like for the first five minutes, this guy is just, you know, classical Greco-Roman reference after reference from, you know, quote unquote, you know, pagan sources that have nothing to do with the Bible. And it's articulating the Deuteronomy 32 worldview. You know, there it is. You don't, you don't need, you know, you know, biblical material to sort of, you know, justify all this stuff. Everybody had a sense of this. And, and scripture, of course, is is consistent with that, but it's also unique in that, you know, this is a punishment from the Most High, and, there, and there's actually a plan for it. You know, it, it has a purpose. It's it's you know, dare I say, purpose driven. You know, it, it you know, there, there's something behind it uh, that that's missing. You know, from the the pagan sphere in in terms of salvation history you know, that that you get in the biblical sphere, but it it's it's just there. It's as though this was sort of a, the starting point. <laughs> you know, it, it's as though that's the case, you know. You've got this post-flood starting point all over the place. And again, I just don't see that as coincidental. And this this becomes the point for us to uh, everyone on this program, I believe just about, has written some kind of book related to this issue. So start with Mike Kaiser's Unseen Realm and check out the rest of our books because we write on this. Um <laughs> But uh, and and I don't mean to to uh, uh, turn this discussion into a different direction, but this is an additional element that I don't, you know, we've we've only lightly touched upon. But um, I also think that that 
the, you know, a lot, this is rooted in an agricultural uh, culture, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 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 and, and the essence of paganism is earth religion. And so this is why, you know, you know, whether it's the fairy spirits, everything's connected to the earth and, 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 you know, whether it's the sacrifice so that you can be, you can get the good food or see what the future is, you know, all these pagan elements are rooted in earth worship. Um, pagan, it, paganism is essentially a nature religion. And, uh, I also, I just wanted to bring up sort of connected to that was, you know, I think this is the power of, uh, you know, the, the scripture, um, you know, the Jewish religion was that it, for the first time in the midst of, you know, where every religion was pagan and earth oriented, you've got Genesis coming in and it literally demystifies nature. It literally desacralizes nature. And this is, in fact, this is what pagans complain about. Modern pagans even complain about how, oh, you know, they'll, they'll accuse the Bible of being, the reason why we're polluting the earth and all this stuff, you know, because we desacralize nature, but that's actually not the case, but it, it, it actually was the moment where freedom was, was they were wrested from that bondage. And it's interesting to note though, that, that, but the Jews had festivals as well for all of the, you know, all of the agricultural festivals, yeah. they had their own version of it, but they were oriented towards obviously the God of nature and, and not nature itself. And I think that's just a beautiful picture of how, you know, uh, the, the, the Jews sort of brought that transformation that we are now ultimately reaping the fruit of as Christianity added the additional element that brought about modern science and technology that allowed us to harness nature as God intended in Genesis 1 using technology. And yes, we must be responsible. Yes, we have to, you know, have that respect. We're, you know, in a sense of tending, but it's also the essence of the the Jewish worldview was that whereas the pagan worldview is the you know the 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 earth is holy and sacred, um, the Jewish worldview was nature is chaos, and God wants us to bring order into chaos through technology and through human you know through human dominion, and that to me is ultimately it's interesting that that still is the picture of what we have today. Now we have a massive you know. A modernized version of earth worship and and what is it rooted in it's rooted in you know rejecting this judeo-christian principle and i find it interesting that this is the same battle that's still going on that patrick was battling back then you know just a new version of it yeah it, it's it's a subtle difference between saying we're doing this ritual and if we don't you know the whole thing's gonna gonna break down as opposed to you know we're we're doing this ritual um to celebrate yeah you know what what god has has done you know what what you know what we 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 celebrate the harvest because we have a good god who gives us you know the things we need to eat and, and so on and so forth and it's going to it's going to operate the way god intended it to be he is the ultimate restrainer you know of 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 chaos uh, it doesn't depend on us. Where in, in paganism, there's a little—I uh, I would say not just a little, but a lot of the sense that that it it, it is human dependent. You know, e- even though you have this spiritual element, you know, it, it's as though you, you know. You see what I'm trying to say? That there's there's more of a 
we, we don't works, we don't just it's works based. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it that everything is 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 performance, you know, based as opposed to uh, there, there's there's reaping the benefit of you know worshiping a good God as opposed to a performance based approach that everything's going to descend into chaos. You know, it, it depends on us. Yeah. And not, you know, not, not, not the most high, you know, that kind of thing. It's a subtle difference, but it, it's, it's actually an important difference. And doesn't it help you have to, to understand all of this and understand these origins to me, it, it helps me have uh, sympathy for the people at that time, the Celtic people who were coming yes. up with all of these mythologies, because without that worldview, without our worldview, you have to try to figure everything out. Why is this happening? And if you don't have the understanding of creation the way we do, you're looking at, okay, every year at this time of year, everything dies. Like what (laughs) is happening? That must mean that the veil between worlds is thin at this time of year and death is coming through and it's killing everything. So how can we stop that from happening? You know, what kind of offerings can we provide to, you know, you can see that logic unfolding. And also kind of on that note, when you look at where these myths came from in antiquity I think one thing a lot of Christians make the mistake of when we're thinking about Halloween or paganism is in general is looking at modern paganism or neo-paganism like Wicca as it is now, uh, specifically like Gardnerian Wicca, which didn't even come into existence until the 1940s. You know, they have this claim that they're this ancient you know, which society, but they're not, this is a new religious movement. They are not good people to look to, to find out what <laughs> Samhain means and, and how it should be celebrated and, and, and all of that. But we do, we look at quote unquote modern witches and we watch what they're doing and we're trying to figure out what Halloween means or what its origins are from the way they explain it in the way they celebrate it and then just have made up their whole new religious movement about it. it has nothing to do with the ancient celtic people and why they did what they did and who they worshiped and why they celebrated and what their rituals were their witchcraft as we could call it i suppose that was practiced in ancient times bears very little resemblance to what modern wiccans and witches are doing now if that makes any sense. Yeah. I think, I think that's a great point, Nat. Like why, why do I, you know, why, why does this stuff fascinate me so much? It's not because I'm interested in just finding out stories. It's because I want to know how, how can I take the Christian message and, and apply it and speak to it in a way that somebody's going to understand from their context. And, you know, we're, t- we're telling the same story. I mean, that seems to be what, what this entire show is about. They, mm-hmm. They tell the story. We tell the story. We tell the story a different way, and we have a very different solution to the problems that are, you know, bring about this kind of a festival that, with all its debauchery and stuff that we read about in the ancient world and that we see even in our own day in the way that Halloween is practiced. And to know the origins of these things, where they come from, and to understand why they come from the way they come and to understand you know, the Deuteronomy 32 and and those kinds of things, then you can actually give a response to somebody that's going to at least make sense from their context. 
Yeah, and you know, the, I watched such an interesting little video. It was very. It was. Are you guys familiar with that um, YouTube channel, Lutheran Satire? They did a great okay. one about Horus and Christmas that was just blew the whole thing out of the water. <laughs> they had one about Halloween, and it was really short and to the point. But the basic uh, point being made was that so many Christians, specifically, you know, fundamentalist Christians, will say, you know, um, you can't have Christmas, you can't have Halloween, you can't do these things because they resemble these pagan practices. This is their origin, and and if you do it, you're you're a pagan too. And then we'll also, in the same breath, say, well, you can't be a Christian just by saying prayers and by going to church and by, you know, doing Christian things. That doesn't make you a Christian. So the irony is they believe you can't be a Christian by doing X, Y, and Z, which we would agree as well. But you can be an accidental pagan by <laughs> mirroring the things that the pagans did on some level. So it's, it's, it's a complete contradiction because I would say, and, and I, as I've maintained in a lot of the things I've written about Christmas and that kind of thing, you cannot be an accidental pagan. You just can't, it's just not, it, it's the, you know, intention of your heart and in where you're coming from. And, and I'm not saying we should go out and, and, you know, paint the town red with, looking like demons and stuff every year on Halloween. But what I am saying is if little children want to go and get candy and this kind of thing on Halloween, they're not little burgeoning occultists, you know, they're not doing it to be, have a pagan celebration and to be little pagans that if you can't be a Christian accidentally, then you can't be a pagan accidentally is kind of what the point of that uh, video was. I totally agree. I, I yeah. think that's a that's an excellent point, Matt. <laughs> and I think it's a great sort of thing for us to be ending on because um, <clears throat> that's what we're dealing with, you know, for those who who really are against it. But I also think it reflects a kind of a mindset in our so, in our society at large that I see as a very dangerous thing, and and that is this this growing notion that. Um, when you know all of us here have this love of the past and learning about the past, and I think we all have this understanding that you know we have to understand people are uh and, and you know like great men in history and women of history are are people of their time periods and so that even you know even the guy even the christians who tried to stop it they you know they had some errors in the way they thought as well right you know like oh all souls day is praying for the dead <laughs> you know praying for dead christians well we wouldn't accept that but but if you, you you're a little bit more understanding if you realize yeah but in terms of the culture at that time, they don't think the way we do. And so there's a, what I'm saying is the, the, the society that we live in now has this tendency to look back and, and find anything that we don't agree with and that that justifies rejecting it as evil. For example, well, you know, and this is where we're going, you know, George Washington had slaves. Uh, that the next, the next thing that you're going to see in our culture is people are already trying to get rid of George Washington statues and Thomas Jefferson. Why? Because they had slaves. And so the, you completely ignore all the positive good elements of who they were and how they built what we now became, right? And so th it's this, I don't know what you'd call it, maybe uh, chronological snobbery, you know, where – It's anachronist, we, an anachronistic. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're the superior moral beings. So you look back and you see, and you just this judgment is everything else before us is just wrong. And that's the the Christian version of that is this mentality that I think what Natalie was was Natalie was talking about, you know. And that's yeah, something like, we need to be be aware of. 
it's like neo puritanicalism you know it's where, where we're into which is a kind of a frightening era if you if you didn't like if you wouldn't want to live in nathaniel hawthorne's nightmare world then i don't know you know yeah. where we're headed as a culture is scary but one of the reasons i was convinced that the fear against modern uh, halloween was kind of it was overhyped it's, it's one of the few times our whole community gets together and, and where families come outside their home yeah. and they they just strangers get together and we all share this kind of a marvelous cultural thing and people are giving away stuff and i mean there's in our era, in my little Midwestern town, you don't just go to your neighbor's house and knock on the door and ask for stuff, you know, and it was really a wonderful cultural experience and Christians really need to be a part of it. I mean, you can't just, you can't just um, vacate the public square. You yeah. need to be salt and light in that environment. But, but my, my, before we end, I mean, one of the, my questions was, uh, one of the things that I'm puzzled about is, so if, you know, 15 or 16 centuries ago uh, on this uh, New Year's Day, the idea is that the recently departed would come and visit your home. And so then you put goodies out for them <laughs> in Ireland. And then eventually the, the church convinced people that, no, 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 it's not recently departed. These are demons coming to your home. And so, so you know, don't put stuff out for them. But people still did, I guess, maybe to appease the demons so they wouldn't terrorize people. And then... Somehow, over a thousand years, that evolves into trick or treating. Uh, and oh no, I'm sorry. I, I, one of the articles mentioned that no, it's not ghosts who come, not demons who come. The, the, this this particular guy in Ireland said, no, no, it's it's the people in purgatory. They, they're yeah. out, they're let out for a little while, yeah. and then they come, and then so then you give them. So it's just souls of the dead again, and you give them your, your treats to your family. You know, your recently departed family and friends, and then they and then they go on their merry way. Um. Where did the church go wrong in trying to subvert this holiday? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was it purgatory? I mean, that that this is like recently that people in Ireland were, were saying this. I don't know if that's still a thought today. But then that evolves in America, at least, to trick-or-treating, which is just interesting, just from an anthropological standpoint. Yeah. But, Can I mean, you, is that syncretism? Is that what happened? Is that why, of all the holidays, that the church tried to Christianize it sort of failed with this one. I mean, what's going on there? Well, I, I would, I would say it's, you know, the fancy academic term, bad theology. I mean, it just, <laughs> because I mean, if, if you're trying to, you're not going to be terribly successful if you're trying to subvert a, a performance based system or a, an earth based system or a human effort system with one that is another of the same, but, but now we have Christian, you know, characters and terms attached to the same approach, you know, to, to, you know, this, to humanity's spiritual need or some amalgamation of, of, of those ideas from, you know, within a Christian context. So if you substitute a, a bad theology in place of a, of a more bad theology, it, yeah. you know, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't work well, you know, but, you know, just in what you were saying about about the neighborhood thing, I mean, I, to me, that's not a, a bad analogy. To you know, if you're if you're a Christian in these periods in these places, I mean, you, you have a decision to make. So you know, here they, here they start bringing out the corn and the stalks and the pumpkins, and you know, you, you know what's coming. It's Samhain time again. You know, okay. <laughs> so so we have a choice to make. Either we're going to avoid all of this stuff. End of story. Or 
is, isn't it, isn't it probably more fruitful to, you know, enter into the, the celebration, but, but in, in sort of an apologetic way, like you go to your neighbor and say, Hey, you know, th- isn't this fun or interesting or, or I know why we're doing this, but do you really know why we're doing this? Yeah. You know, where does this, where, do, where do these ideas come from? Because if, if you can get a person to, to wonder about, Hey, look, look what I'm doing. You know what, where does all this come from? There, there's your invitation to help a person think more carefully about it. You know, you take the practice and show how there, there's a, there's a relationship to things that scripture does talk about in terms of its logic, but, but there's also a better solution. There, there, yeah. There's there's a better set of ideas that extend from this thing we're doing than either dismissing it all, like you're a, a materialist and you're just doing it because you like candy or Kit Kats or whatever, you know. I mean, th- there, there's something better to be learned and thought about, you know, than that. And the same for the pagan. Well, you know, you, you kind of get why we're doing this a little bit more than the, our, our atheist friend over there. You know, you, you kind of know a little bit more about this history. And, and here, here, here are the roots of it. Here, here are the questions it asks, or here's the problem, the spiritual problem that, that they were trying to solve. Yeah. You know, scripture, scripture understands that. Scripture knows where you're coming from. And, 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 and is attached to it in some way, but the solutions and the answers to the questions are different, you know, so, so you can have a discussion about, you know, maybe there's, maybe this stuff is a, is a dim reflection or some inversion of something God really does want us to think about. And, you know, scripture has just a better set of answers, a better discussion to have on those things. So you can, I mean, to me, that's better than just saying, I'm out of here. <laughs> and I, and I'm, and I'm never going to use this, you know, kind of quirky, odd, and yes, you know, it, it has pagan roots, this thing, but I mean, what, what would St. Patrick have done? I mean, it's some, somebody who's a serious believer, not just your, your nominal Catholic, you know, you know, grand poobah or something like that. You know, a serious Christian is going to look at this and I think would, would like Patrick, okay. You know, we, we, we can see the pieces on the board. We know what, what we know the game that's being played here. You know, let's do something with this. Let's use this as a tool to subvert bad thinking or bad theology or evil or whatever. And, and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll steer the, the discussion. We, we will divert the attention over here to what God really does want us to think about. I mean, you know, maybe that's not going to always work the best for, for everyone who, who wants to, you know, play the game that way. You know, we're all fallible. I, I get that. But at least the discussion happens. <laughs> at least there, there's the potential for a Christian to come along and say, yeah, I get it. But have you really thought about this? Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of us who are who traffic in middle earth, even among, you know, fellow Christians or among you know, people who aren't Christian at all. I mean, this is actually what we're trying to do. We're, we're trying to get people to the table to have a discussion and think better about something, uh, but kind of meeting them where they're at. So why, why is it, and I, again, I'll speak to the Middle Earth community, why is it okay for you to be into something like UFOs and Bigfoot and you know, whatever it is and meet people there to have a, a Christian discussion, but it's bad for you know, an eighth, ninth, 10th century Christian 
to do the same thing. That just seems really inconsistent to me. Excellent. And I, I think the answer is we, we have a modern conceit that everybody before us did it wrong, that there were no true believers out there. There are all these, you know, whacked out, you know, you know, fill in the blank, whatever group they belong to. They weren't us. Mm-hmm. So they're wrong. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Well, again, is that really consistent thinking? You know, it just doesn't seem like it is to me. Height of arrogance. So let's try to redeem, you know, what needs to be redeemed. <laughs> Amen. You know, I mean, what, what else is there? To, you got two choices. Let it be unredeemed or try to redeem it. It, it doesn't seem that complicated to me. Yeah, I was thinking of an, an analogy as you were talking. For some reason, Halloween has reminded me quite a bit of Christmas, just in the things that we read in terms of New Year time of year. So one is Halloween is their New Year and Christmas kind of celebrates ours. And, and some of the other cultures would celebrate it at the winter solstice. And I was thinking about the idea of the solstice. I mean, God's the one that put the sun up in the sky. God's the one that causes the earth to rotate on its axis. It's not some, it's not some pagan idea that, that the, uh, you know, the new year begins with the, with the days getting longer on the winter solstice. That's something God made. And, you know, as a Christian growing up, I never heard anybody ever talk about that. Like there was, there was no category in my mind for even what to do with this other than maybe some sort of a naturalism that, that uh, it's just all kind of accidental or something. We just didn't talk about it. And the pagans did not only talked about it, but they celebrated things on those days. If God's the one that made it, then why in the world can't we have an explanation for it ourselves? Yeah. Yeah, Well, again, uh, this, a lot of this was new to me. You brought up Christmas, um, over (laughs) at the naked Bible podcast. We did a whole episode last year on, you know, is, is Christmas a pagan holiday, that kind of thing. And, and again, you know, people can go listen to that because we, we, we got into specific scriptural examples uh, of what Brian was talking about earlier, this, this uh, appropriation. You know, the, you know, God did and the Israelites did. They did appropriate pagan things. And again, for, for very specific reasons that would, again, either blunt non-truth and direct people to truth. So we have the same thing again, you know, this, this attempt in in the case of Christmas by people who were were serious about, you know, the Christian faith. I mean, the real Christian faith trying to, again, do something culturally to direct people away from one thing and toward another, again, to, to get them to the table, you know, to have the discussion, so to speak, to, to help, help them think better thoughts about what it is they're concerned about in the ritual, what they think the ritual means, why they think they need to do it. Again, you, you can have those conversations. And, and again, it's, it's not like it's, there are no minefields there. I mean, there, there are. You have to be able to think carefully and draw lines, okay? And again, this is what I, why I think, you know, going back to the earlier question, where do we go wrong with this? There is just sloppy theological thinking. I mean, just, just honestly, it, it was a job done poorly that could have been done better as opposed to just never attempting to do the job at all. And so this, this I think, was, was useful for me. Again, a lot of this, the Halloween stuff was, was new. So I'm, I'm glad we did the topic. Me too. Well, I, I, as we leave, I want to extend thanks to everybody who participated. Uh, glad you could all be here. 
And again, I think this was a good episode. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. Have a great Signing holiday. Out. Hello. <laughs> uh,